Welcome back to Four of a Kind Podcast, where you will learn from real-life experiences of amazing women and male allies, too, who support our mission to increase women's representation in business leadership. You will hear from founders, investors, startups, corporate leaders, and our own journeys, too. We want this podcast to empower you to go start that business, take that big job, and do it with confidence. So join us and exciting guests, and let's figure out what we can do to get there. Hi, everyone. This is Michelle. I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Mike Annunziata. Mike is a good friend and a co-board member of the Metro New York chapter of Make-A-Wish Foundation. Mike and I first met um, maybe a couple of Super Bowls ago, maybe like four or five Super Bowls ago. And, I think that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, we were getting really pumped up for the annual Long Beach Island Polar Bear Plunge. And yes, we both dove into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Long Island in the middle of February to raise money for sick children. Since then, both of us have started and completed business school and gotten married. So lots of major life events. And on top of all that, you have started a company. So before we get started, uh, Mike, I'll let you say hi. Hey, hey, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Flattered. Uh, and I think, you know, looking back on all those many years ago at, and doing the plunge, some of my best memories from from doing that with, with all the Make-A-Wish board. Yeah, it was pretty fun. A lot of <laughs> crazy memories. <laughs> Speaking of crazy memories, we're also joined with one of my co-hosts, Kelsey Walsh. <laughs> thank you, Michelle. And hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. And thank you, Mike, for joining us. As we get started, Mike, if you wouldn't mind giving us a quick snapshot of your background beside how you enjoy jumping into the ocean in the middle of February, but maybe starting with school and other jobs you've had that have led you to the point where you've started your company. Yeah, sure. Well, Kelsey, thanks to you as well for, for having me on the show. When I think about it, yeah, funny enough, a lot of things that I've done in my background with both school, you know, education, professionally, up to starting a company, the jumping in the Atlantic Ocean in February is not too terrible of an analogy for a lot of the stuff that I've done. Um, <laughs> so who knew? Who knew, right? Uh, but you know, I actually I grew up on Long Island. Then I went upstate for school. I, I went to Cornell for undergrad and also for business school and spent a couple of years in New York. I was an investor. I worked at a family office. I did kind of a mix of things on the investment side, but always knew that I wanted to scratch an entrepreneurial itch that I had, not knowing exactly what it was that I was going to do. And it was really pretty serendipitous for me in business school to meet my co-founder, who at the time was doing his master's in food science, focused on food process engineering. And the two of us kind of wrote a business plan for his master's research and decided to build a company around that research. And when I think about things in my background that helped position me to make that decision, it really was constantly focusing on things, or I got the greatest satisfaction out of things that I was building. All the way back to when I was six years old and I built a, a Connects Ferris wheel in my house, which this thing was massive and it sat on my living room dresser for you know probably 20 years. I still stare at the thing, but I look at that as kind of a fun symbol of like, that is what gets me going. There was a lot of experiences, you know, both as an investor and school that helped prepare me to be in a place to really start a company that has, you know, we, we've raised a good amount of capital now. We have eight full-time employees. We have a big operating space and we're really getting ready to kick off a big phase of growth here for us. 
So that's kind of a quick at a high level, my background. I love that connects Ferris wheel. I remember that very <laughs> fondly as well. Can you tell us a bit about your company, Farther Farms, and how you guys got started and all the background around it? Yeah, sure. So I alluded to it you know, briefly around kind of started in business school with my co-founder. It really started with a simple email from my co-founder saying, hey, I'm working on a potato technology. Would you like to join and help me work on the project and, and maybe turn it into a company? It was really that that's that simple. To say I've learned a lot from him since then would be kind of an understatement, but we've really taken it from that pure basic idea phase all the way through to, to funding and build out. And what we're trying to do is invent an entirely new technology platform focused on new forms of, of food processing. So taking the best scientists, the best engineers, the best business minds, and figuring out how do you have them apply their talents to food system related problems. And we're focused on a very, very big element of it, which is actually the processing of food. So making the limited commodities that we grow last longer and serve consumer needs and preferences better as they change. So our team is right now, it's two people on the business side, six technical folks and trying to add to that technical team as well. When it comes down to it, the fun part of what we're doing when it comes to the specific thing is we're making the first never frozen French fry that's ever been made before. Wow. So just for those of us that are trying to envision the never frozen French fry, this is something that would, would it come in a box? Exactly. So we focus a lot on trying to make one-for-one -one substitutes for existing products, but with attributes that increase the sustainability of the food system. So if I'm a restaurant owner and I have a frozen French fry that I cook right now, you could substitute in our French fry and it would just be not frozen, but it would perform and be prepared in the same way as you're frozen. So right. in a five pound bag, in a box that's 30 pounds, you know, six, six bags at five pounds each. And then you would just drop them kind of in your deep fryer and serve them on a plate, just like the frozen ones. But the benefits of it not being frozen are that restaurant owner can keep it on the shelf. They don't need as much freezer space. The distributor can distribute it in a non-refrigerated truck. So that reduces carbon emissions there and the energy. We don't have to freeze it and keep it frozen in storage on our side in the warehouse. That reduces the amount of energy that's used. So a lot of it is, is this sustainable angle. And if you think about it for developing countries as well, as we apply this fundamental technology to other applications and other vegetables and meats and things, Anybody who doesn't have frozen infrastructure right now, we will have an ability to deliver them nutritious shelf life extended food wherever they are. Yeah, and I guess by my question, is it in a box? I meant in a box on the shelf. But yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot of applications of this technology. Who at this point are your customers? So like at what point in the food processing and supply chain are you looking to deliver this technology? Is it to the manufacturers or is it, you know, to your point, a restaurant would buy a specific food product? Yeah, you know, that's one of those things where we are very, very customer focused. And we know that with any technology, you need to be delivering value to the end customer or the technology needs to enable you to deliver value to the end customer in, in a better or more efficient way. So if our technology makes a product in the interest of owning the customer relationship and understanding the customer so we can improve the technology, we have relationships with the customers and restaurants to start. So there are you know 15 or 20 restaurants that have signed on so far to buy the product. But we understand that there may be different paths that we would take as we look to scale the processing capacity to serve more restaurants and maybe bring on partners or doing it ourselves. It's all kind of 
things that we're working through right now as a company. This solution of yours that you've come up with that will help make food more accessible in various parts of the world, conceptually, it, it's making a lot of sense as to why you would want to solve for this issue. How did, how did your investors respond initially? One of the things that's really exciting about the tech platform that we're building is that it has such broad applications and implications for the global food system as a whole that the market really is infinite in a lot of ways. It's all the food that we consume or all the processed food that we consume. And it's because we're starting from zero, really building a platform that allows you to develop food products, to develop new technologies uh, on top of that. And if we're focused on delivering value to the consumer uh, and we can we can prove and validate that, that gives you lots of opportunity to grow the business uh, in different avenues in different parts of the world. So investors definitely saw the opportunity and were really, really excited. I think for us, it was more about finding who the right, most aligned partners were that really understood the nuances of the market that we were entering and the competitive landscape that there is in food processing and food processing technology and in delivering food through the distribution chain to food service and grocery stores. Did that take a bit more time and research on your part in order to find the right investors? Or do you think that your seeking capital experience is similar to most other startups? I think no matter what it is that you're selling, I think there's an ethos today that there's so much money, fundraising is so easy. Fundraising is hard, no matter how much money is out there. It's because ultimately it's a relationship game and it's how do you build relationships with people over longer periods of time that at the earliest stages, they're comfortable making a bet on you and your team. There's really nothing in a pitch deck that can get people to feel that way. There's there's a great blog post out there and I can share it with you after the show. Uh, it talks about how investors invest in, in lines, not dots. So what you're trying to do as a fundraiser is you're trying to give investors different dots over long periods of time that they can connect and draw in a straight line so they can learn about you and who you are. So when, when it took time for us to fundraise, it was because we were building, you know, drawing those proverbial dots for investors. And if you look back at uh, who our ultimate investors were in the earliest days, it was people who knew us for long periods of time. And of course, they expected us. We had a rationale for why we were excited about the business and why we were dedicating our life to this. They wanted to understand it, but they wanted to understand it not to be judgmental about us and to, to do you know, a yes or no on whether or not they were excited about it, but more so they could support us because they believed in who, who we were and what we were doing and, and why we were excited about it. And it's funny because as I talk about my own investing activities and things like that, that I do personally, that's very much how I prefer to invest as well is I see a lot of great opportunities in pitch decks, but it's the ones where I can see dots that I can connect over periods of time that I get the most excited about. So firstly, yes, please share those blogs with us so we can add them to the episode notes. Can you also talk a little bit about your investing experience? One of the things that's unique about my experience that I guess I didn't touch on in too much detail in the beginning is I've really spanned the investment landscape in my eight or so years before starting Farther Farms, going all the way back and, and being a limited partner, investing in other people's strategies from 
private equity, to distressed investing, to venture capital, to public markets, to credit, to lending. I've kind of looked at all the different strategies and seen what quality looks like through that lens. I've also been a pre-seed investor, investing other people's money while I was in business school as part of Dormroom Fund, which is, it's a student venture fund backed by first round capital and learned a ton and been mentored by that group in terms of how to think about early stage investing. And then looking at a similar stage from a, from a personal capital standpoint as well. So I've had an opportunity to see the whole life cycle of a company and how it gets financed and do it at a level that allows me to understand where the bar is for success. So when I'm looking at an opportunity, I can understand, okay, what are the hurdles this founder is going to face as they go forward? Or what are the hurdles this investment strategy will face as it goes forward? Does this person seem prepared for the challenges that are going to come? And what sorts of signals can I take away from what they're saying to me now that would demonstrate they'll be in a position to be successful over the long term. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that perspective, I assume, is incredibly valuable, even as you're making your decisions for farther farms. Was there anything that even after your years of experience on the investing side across sort of the life cycle of investment that was still surprising to you when you were on the other side of the table pitching your own business? It's a good question. You know, I talked earlier about it being a relationship game, even though I kind of knew that being on the investment side, I was often part of a team when I was on the investment side versus being the point person when I was trying to fundraise for Farther Farms. So what was really reiterated to me and when it was surprising, it was surprising how much it mattered. It was how much of a relationship game it was. It just people wanted to talk to, to me and my co-founder. They wanted to get to know about us and they're happy to look at the documents, but that really was what got people excited was 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 my co-founder, myself, what we built, our story, what motivated us, all those kinds of things. Whereas maybe as an investor, I was more quantitatively oriented, financially oriented, focused more on that side of it. And that's all important for sure. And, and, the, and as, you're, as you invest more and more capital in bigger amounts, it becomes more and more important to pay attention to the numbers. But at the stage that we were at, that, that relationship was really surprising, maybe is even the wrong word, but it was just interesting to see how much of a weight, what it, what it feels like to have the weight be put on the personal and not so much on the quantitative. Right, right. It sounds like they were betting on you as individuals, as business people, as professionals, as this concept is you and you are the concept, right? So it sounds like that's probably part of the incentive for them to get to know you and the co-founder well. Yeah, I, th I think that's one of the things that being an operator now, I appreciate more as an investor, which is as an investor, I am financing your vision, but you still need to make the series of decisions that will compound into building a big business. So if I'm trying to underwrite an investment in your company, I'm really underwriting an investment in how well you can make a series of decisions that should compound to create value. So I really want to understand how well do you make decisions? What is your process for making decisions? What's your track record of making decisions in terms of accuracy? Because when I think about my job as a CEO and then the job that of the person that I'm trying to invest in and how it kind of correlates, 
fundamentally, it's how does this individual allocate capital for a return and how does this individual make measured, thoughtful decisions? And when you have that lens, it really helps bring to the surface the best of the best, if you will, because people who understand that the CEO or co-founders and understand that those are two primary responsibilities have thought deeply about that and have come up with frameworks and approaches for how to best execute. Whereas those maybe that are less experienced haven't done as much thinking on that topic. So can articulate that as well. When we talked earlier, you also mentioned that there are so many benefits that you have in investing, but one of the ones that you haven't mentioned yet is the whole concept of paying it forward. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, thanks for for bringing that up. So myself and a, and a few colleagues, we we do make small investments in early stage companies, and we'll look at kind of other opportunities, maybe more cash flow positive businesses or operating businesses, things like that. And when I articulate what our goal is with our investing at this stage, it really is kind of threefold in order of importance. You know, first and foremost is to build relationships with really good people. Second is to, to learn and to continue to get a sense of what's going on in the market and get a sense of different sectors and areas that are interesting. And and the third is, of course, you know, to, to try and make money. And we're investing to try to make money. And the element of the first two, as it kind of ties together, that that learning and then uh, meeting good people is we think we have an opportunity with our group that has some kind of unique background and experience at different startups or senior operational roles to, to use your words, you know, to pay forward as a means of we've, we've had so many people that have invested in us, both tangibly and intangibly, that the best thing we can do to show them our gratitude for doing that is to pay it forward and provide that guidance to others. And, th- and that can be kind of a fine line because sometimes in, in the early stage space, especially, there's a lot of advisors and people that want to give you guidance and tell you what to do. Uh, that's not actually not the approach that we take in terms of paying it forward. When I say pay it forward, I mean, we want to be the supportive uh, ear when the founder needs something to complain, you know, someone to complain to. Uh, we want to be the one that can help open the door uh, and have the trust with the founder that they feel like they can call and ask us because they're not afraid that they're going to come across as not knowing something. So giving them the confidence boost that's necessary at the earliest stages, and, and particularly for first-time founders or people that are newer to entrepreneurship, uh, being able to provide that resource because we think it has a lot of value in terms of the entrepreneurial journey at the earliest days. And, and it'll be something that we, it is something that, that we very much enjoy doing. And, and, and I spent a fair amount of time doing it because it is something that I enjoy personally. Our podcast touches on a couple of different themes. And one of the things that you had mentioned is that you and your friends have invested in female founded businesses. Can you tell us a little bit about those companies that you are investing in? We've looked at a number of female-founded businesses, and shameless plug for the one company that we've invested in so far that is founded by Meg Moppin. It's actually a uh, skincare company, personalized skincare company by the name of uh, Atola, A-T-O-L-L-A. Her and and Sid, her her co-founder, met at MIT, and they created this algorithm to help individuals create their own personalized skincare skin serums. They were founded like middle or early of 2018. And then they both left school at the end of 2018, and we invested in early 2019. They've since gone on to raise uh, from an institutional VC fund to help them expand, and they, they launched officially in, I think, August. Uh, and, and it's really been really great to support kind of Meg and Sid and, and our whole group in different areas, whether it's technology development or business strategy or different areas that 
they may have questions on. And we try to be as, as measured and helpful as we can in the context of what their current needs are. But, you know, Megan Sid are, are really, really impressive. And we're just very grateful to, to have had the opportunity to work with them and to continue to work with them. Well, one of the things that we did not discuss previously, Mike, is this idea of mentorship. And it sounds like from, from the various stories you've been telling us throughout this episode that you've had a lot of people who've provided whether it's pieces of advice or support emotionally or financially. Can you talk a little bit about how that has influenced uh, where your company is today and where you guys are looking to go? When I think about mentorship, I think about it, there's kind of two types of mentors. There's the people who know their mentors, and then there's the people who don't even realize they're mentors to you. And maybe you could call those role models whatever it may be. And there are a number of people in my life, you know, dating back to when I was a kid, who I look at and say, I want to take this part of this person. I want to take this part of this person. You know, this person mentored me and taught me X, Y, and Z. I'm going to incorporate that. And to come back to my idea of kind of decision-making strategies and, and process, building my own decision-making process leverages what I perceive as the best of different people that I've worked with. So whether it's how my last boss evaluated investment opportunities and built relationships, whether it's how my first boss in my internship uh, would help make sure that you didn't make mistakes on work that you were doing, whether it's how my first boss at a school showed trust in, in me very early on and gave me the rope to, to make mistakes and was there to support when, when, I, when I did make mistakes and, and was non-judgmental, right? These little things start to add up over time to end up in a place where I can use them to make decisions as, as a leader in my organization. And when I think about my role then, okay, I've, I've benefited over the last 20 some odd years from all of that support and, and formal and informal mentorship, how do I pay that forward to come back to this pay forward concept? And you know, it's really the most tangible ways. Most recently, I, I talked about first round capital and how I was a dorm room fund investor. And I actually, they run a separate program called Fast Track, where they source mentors within the technology and startup community to mentor other in, individuals that are maybe more junior in the mentor in the technology and startup community. And I just, actually just concluded that program as a three or four month program. And I'll be re-upping again in the spring to have a new mentee and meeting kind of every other week to talk through. And and it's funny, it's it's uh, the old Seinfeld joke, right? You can't actually do philanthropy because it makes you feel good. It's kind of a similar thing yeah. with mentorship is I feel good because I enjoy doing that kind of thing and seeing other people be successful. That is the overarching level. It really is for me, mentorship is about that giving back because giving is where I get the greatest level of satisfaction and seeing other people be successful. And, and there's people that I come back to from my Cornell days where like a couple of years out of school, I would I, I did some alumni interviewing and I stayed in touch with those people and I see them going on to be successful and they remember me and conversations that we've had. And, and those are, you know, at the end of the day, what gets me most excited is to continue to see people around me be successful uh, and continue to grow. That's great. Yeah, I think all of us, the podcast, the mentor question is something we always ask because I think we all really appreciate the value in both giving and receiving in that kind of relationship. So just before we end to dive into something really specific, do you have a piece of advice for our listeners, something or something they should keep in mind, specifically in the context of them seeking funding for a business they're starting, since I know that's an area you have 
a lot of expertise in on both sides of the table. If I were to keep it in the fundraising realm, I could do something cheesy like don't give up, just keep going kind of thing. But to come back to this concept of mentorship, try your best to plan as far in advance to take on the the task of raising capital for your business. And when you do that, keep in mind that it is a means to an end and you're there to build the business. Fundraising is just the beginning. I think too often that second idea gets lost that you need the capital to start the business, but you want to start the business and the business is what you're excited about. So yes, you want to plan six or nine or 12 months in advance as you lead up to fundraising, you want to start building relationships. And one of the ways you can do that to come back to this idea is you want mentors. If you can find mentors or other people in your network that can support you and you, you can ingratiate them in a way that, that makes them excited about helping you, don't be afraid to ask for that help. Don't be afraid to ask for that connection or whatever it may be. But when you do, remember that the lens is... I have this amazing business opportunity that I'm ready to dedicate my life to. I want you to join me on the journey and let's go do this together. The fundraising is just the means to the end. That's a great piece of advice. That bigger picture is always something which I'm sure when you're in the weeds and you know working 24 hours a day, seven days a week on something you're building, you don't even have a second in the day to lift your head up and, and think about that. That's great advice for sure. Look, I could talk I could talk for hours about fundraising <laughs> and tactics and strategy and I feel like we could start a whole different podcast series just on that topic. Uh, oh, totally. Because you know, when you oh, think about people that yeah. are successful in that area, they're almost really nerdy about it. Super dorky about certain areas that they try to be the best at. And that's how I think about myself when it comes to this decision making, this capital allocation, fundraising, financing, all that part of the business is something that I just obsess over. And it's it's hopefully in a healthy way. Yeah. Uh, but I just love to learn. So stay tuned for your podcast. Yeah. Coming <laughs> soon. <laughs> Mike, well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us today. If our listeners are interested in learning more about Farther Farms, which I am sure they will be because what you're doing is fascinating. How can they get more information about the company or maybe get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So uh, company website is fartherfarms.com. If they'd like to send me a note, they can send a note to mike at fartherfarms.com. And I uh, would be happy to connect and answer any questions. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mike. I love how you're not just building your own company, although it does sound like you're spending a lot of time focusing on that, but you're also actively investing in other startups and sharing your lessons learned, uh, not just from this startup experience, but from other experiences and sharing it with others. Check out details from today's episode in the show notes. We'll have Mike's contact information. If you'd like to reach us, send us an email at fourofakindpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at fourofakindpodcast for the latest news and updates. And don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.